Amen. That's good this morning. Amen. Well, take your Bibles one more time and turn with me to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua, we'll be looking at the very end, Joshua 24, verses 29 through 33. Joshua 24, 29 through 33. If you were to leave Little Rock, Arkansas, and drive south on 530, and then take 167 south toward Fordyce, and then take 8 east towards New Edinburgh, if you weren't going very fast and you were looking very carefully, you would see a little sign that says, Bradley 8 in Road in Pennington. Now, if you were to take a right there toward Pennington and go down about a half a mile, you would see on the right-hand side, Mosley Cemetery. Now, my great-great-grandmother was a Mosley. And if you were to look at a satellite image of Mosley Cemetery, you would discover that it is literally right in the middle of nowhere. But right there in the middle of nowhere, I have a couple hundred years of ancestors that are buried there. My grandmother's mother was a Mosley. My grandmother grew up in that family. My grandmother is buried there. Her 13 siblings are buried there. My Aunt Emily is buried there, who made the greatest homemade chicken and dumplings you have ever had in your life and who had the largest mole on the end of her nose you have ever seen. You could never look Aunt Emily in the eye. Your eyes just kind of turned to that nose. She's a precious lady. I've only been there twice. I was there once when I was young at my grandmother's funeral. I remember that moment. And I was there this last January when we buried my dad. And that cold February morning when we put my dad to rest there, my brothers and I, my mom, and some other close family members, all associated with the Mosleys there, just took some time to, to walk around. It's an interesting thing to, to walk around an old cemetery like that that has so much family history in it. As I walked around, I couldn't help but to find that my mind was both going toward the past and toward the future. But as I walked and saw all of those names, many of them I knew, Many of them I'd met, many of them I knew by name, but had never met. They were long gone before I ever came around. I couldn't help but to look back and think about God's provision in the past. And in God's grace, the legacy of faith that is in our family, and God's goodness and God's kindness, and the way in which God had navigated us through all kinds of different circumstances, and that I was standing there because of God's provision in the past. But I also couldn't help but to walk around there and think about the future. So many of those family members loved Jesus, and so many of them had given their life to Jesus. And because of that, there will be a day that right there in the middle of nowhere, in Mosley Cemetery, many of them will, when Christ appears in the sky, be risen from that place and will meet him in the air. There is a great moment to be had someday in the future at Mosley Cemetery. As I walked around, I realized that each one of those graves were symbols. They were symbols of God's provision in the past 
and they were symbols of God's promises for the future. As we have walked through the book of Joshua, we have discovered that it is a book of great victory. It is a great uh, a book of great advancement. It is a book of incredible blessing. It is, from beginning almost to end, a book about life. I told you the very first week that as we study the book of Joshua, it is really a paradigm. It is a picture of our life. It is about God whose desire has always been to lead every single person who has ever lived into the experience of real, meaningful life. The life that God intended for you to have, the life that God created us for to have in Eden, but was lost because of sin. Do you know that life that you were meant to have that was lost because of sin, it is always God's desire to bring you back into that life. That is always what God is doing in this world. He's restoring the brokenness and leading us into life. And so it is, the book of Joshua is the journey of God's people back into life. And all of the emphasis on taking the land is really an emphasis just on experiencing the life that God has for us. And because this book is all about the experience of life, it just seems really odd that it ends with a few verses about death. I mean, if it would have just ended in chapter 24, verse 28, it would have been perfect. Because in chapter 23, Joshua gets up in his last words, over 100 years old, and he gathers the people of God and he says, listen, I've walked with the Lord a long time. And I'm here to give testimony to this one truth. God is good and you can trust him. He then goes into 24 and giving his last words once again, having gathering all the people and says, listen, I'm about to depart and there's one decision you must make. You must choose to serve the Lord. Well, why should we choose to serve the Lord? Well, not because you are a debtor to the Lord, not simply because of all he has done for you. The reason you should choose to serve the Lord is because he's good and you can trust him. There's no life better than the life of serving the Lord. But Joshua says, you must choose whom you are going to serve. And then in chapter 24, verse 28, it says this. So Joshua sent the people away, every man, to his inheritance. That inheritance is all of the land that God had promised his people 400 years before. The promised land that they were going to receive, they all go back to live in that land to enjoy the life that God had given them. And just then, when it seems as if we've come to the perfect ending of a book about life, we have these verses, starting in verse 29. It says, After these things, Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnoth Sarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem, in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died. And they buried him at Gibeah, the town of Phinehas, his son, which had been given him in the hill country of Ephraim. Instead of the book ending with life, the book ends 
with a little tour of a cemetery. It ends with three graves. And for some reason, at the end of this book, God in his providence, who supernaturally oversaw the writing of every word of scripture so that we know what we have is the inspired inerrant word of God, has chosen to end this book about life with three pictures of death. So since we trust God and his providence and the sovereignty of the way in which he's put his words together, it seems that we must too end this study with a walk through this graveyard and looking at these three tombs. Let's look at them together. The first one is the grave of Joshua. It's there in verses 29 and 30. Joshua was the young man who had walked with Moses and had been Moses' assistant through all of the journey of the people through the wilderness. He had a man who had fought some incredible battles, had been incredibly faithful, who had been with Moses in his most incredible moments. He saw Moses' face shine as Moses came out of the presence of the Lord. And Moses died. And when Moses died, it was Joshua who was appointed and anointed in front of all of the people to be the leader of God's people. It was Joshua at the beginning of Joshua chapter 1 in which the Lord came to and said, Joshua, it is your moment to lead. You are the one who will lead the people into the promised land. You are the one who will finish this journey after all the years of wandering. Joshua, it's you. But in order for you to do this, you must be strong. You must be courageous and you must be careful. And so it is that Joshua was the leader that the people needed. And the book of Joshua tells us, particularly in chapter 1, that the people's success depended upon how closely they followed Joshua. That if Joshua was strong, and if he was courageous, and if he was careful to be obedient, he would be the one to lead the people. Humanly speaking, the people would have never entered into the land if it wasn't for Joshua. They would have once again been cowardly. They would have once again feared all the nations around them, but they didn't. Joshua was the man that got appointed And Joshua was the leader they needed. It tells in verse 29 that Joshua was a servant of the Lord. A little phrase that's quite significant. Because it reminds us that Joshua did serve the Lord wholeheartedly. He was a man of incredible devotion. He followed the Lord completely. He was the greatest leader that we have in the Old Testament. He was one of only two men. Born as a slave in Egypt. But died as a free man inheriting the promised land. And there is his grave, right there in Ephraim. Next, it tells us about the tomb of Joseph. Look at verse 32. It says, the bones of Joseph were brought by the people from Egypt. Now, it's interesting that Joseph is mentioned here. If you were, like I have been, just kind of walking through Joshua and reading it and reading it, you would find yourself surprised that Joshua is mentioned here because he's not mentioned any other place in the entire book. Now, his name comes up every once in a while because some of his descendants inherited some of the promised land. And so they got some inheritance, but Joseph is not a figure at all that is ever brought up in this story. But the truth is, if you know the story before this story, the people would have never been here if it wasn't for Joseph. Joseph was the favorite son of his father, Jacob, and the land that is here right now that we're talking about, Jacob bought, and Joseph grew up on that land. 
But you know, because he was the favorite son, his brothers hated him. And his brothers took him out one day and sold him as a slave to some passerbys who then sold him to the house of Pharaoh. And through all kinds of providential and very difficult circumstances, Joseph, through a lot of ups and a lot more downs, ended up being a place of incredible authority in the house of Pharaoh. This was important, and it was all part of God's plan, because there were all of his brothers representing all of the tribes of Israel, representing everyone who had these promises that someday they were going to inherit the land, all of them about to die because there was a famine in the land. And they needed someone who would rise up to help them and deliver them from that famine and give them the food they needed. And so it is that God, through all of this providence, led Joseph as a slave, into the house of Pharaoh, getting him a position where he could rescue the rest of his family and bring them to Egypt where they would not starve and God would preserve his covenant and save his people. It tells us, though, at the end of Joseph's life that he died in Egypt. But Joseph knew the promises. Joseph knew that someday they were going to inherit the promised land, and it was God's plan that they would receive it. And because of that, Joseph did not want his bones left in Egypt. I don't know exactly why that was significant to him, but in his mind, he knew someday they were going to be delivered from Egypt, and they were going to go back to that homeland that he came from. And it was going to be an affirmation that God always keeps his promises. So Joseph just said this, hey, take my bones with you. And so it is, in the keeping of that promise, here it is that his bones have been brought, buried into that land that he grew up on as the ultimate symbol of God's faithfulness, that his family did make it to the land. We see the grave of Joshua and we see the grave of Joseph. There's one more grave we pass in verse 33. It is the grave of Eleazar. Now it says he was the son of Aaron. You you may remember Aaron. Aaron was the high priest for Moses. Moses died, Aaron died, Joshua was the new leader, and so it is Aaron's son, Eleazar, was the new high priest. Now, the job of the high priest was to mediate between the people and God. He was the ultimate highest religious leader during the time. He was appointed by God. He was anointed by God to make sure that there was always a right relationship between God and the people. He was in charge of the tabernacle. He was in charge of the worship. And his most important day every year was the Day of Atonement, in which Eleazar, the high priest, would choose a goat, and symbolically he would take all of the sins of the people and place it upon that goat, and then the goat would be killed that Eleazar would take the blood of that goat and he would walk into the Holy of Holies where the very presence of God is, where only the high priest could go, and he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat so the people's sins would be forgiven for a year. Through the sacrifice of an animal and the ministry of the high priest, the people's sins were washed away and forgiven. And all of the days of Joshua, Eleazar was the mediator between God and the people. He made sure that they kept a right relationship with God and that their sins were covered. Now, these are all great men. Joshua was a great man, and Joseph was a great man, and Eleazar was a great man. This question still remains, why in this book filled with life that's trying to teach us how to enter life, would it end with three deaths? The answer is this. In the same way, all of those graves in Mosley Cemetery were symbols of God's provision. Listen, 
so it is that all three of these graves are symbols of God's provision in the past. They force us to look back. They force the people at this moment to look back. And still today, they force us to look back and to realize that every step along the way, God gave the people exactly what they needed. Think about it with me. Joshua was the leader the people needed. When the people needed to get in the promised land, but they did not know how, and they did not have the strength, and they did not have the courage, God raised up a man named Joshua who led them to experience the life God intended for them to have. God raised up Joshua, who is the leader the people needed. And when the people so desperately needed a savior, when they were going to die of starvation, and there didn't seem to be any hope for the entire family to survive, God raised up a savior named Joshua, James Joseph. And God sent him ahead so that he could prepare the way so that through the ministry of Joseph, all of the nation could be saved. They are here today because God raised Joseph up to be the savior they needed. And God raised up Eleazar to be the mediator that they needed, the people who desperately needed their sins forgiven, who desperately needed a right relationship with God. Every step of the way, God was providing for them. When they needed a leader, he gave them Joshua. When they needed a savior, he gave them Joseph. When they needed a mediator and a high priest, he gave them Eleazar. And every one of these men were appointed by God for the sake of his people. And every one of their graves remind us of this. God always gives us everything we need. He is always ahead of us. He is always beside us. He is always making sure that before we get where we're going, he is already there and has taken care of every single thing that we need. We need these graves because these graves point our heart and our minds back to the constant provision of God. In the same way that every story of the Old Testament points us back and gives us a reminder of God's goodness and God's provision, so it is that a walk through this cemetery and looking at every one of these graves reminds us that in the past, God has always provided for his people. They are a symbol of God's provision in the past. But that's not all. In the same way that I would walk through Mosley Cemetery and I would look back at God's provision, so it is I would look forward to God's promises. And every one of these graves are also symbols of something that God has promised in the future. They're pointing us forward. And the reason it's important to end the book of Joshua with this is because they are pointing us forward. They're helping us know that there is something else that is coming. You see, all of these were great men, but all of them have one thing in common. They're dead. And the text emphasizes this, doesn't it? Verse 29, after these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died and was buried. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Gibeah. As great as these men were, Joshua, the great leader of the Old Testament, he's dead, and he's buried at Ephraim. Joseph, the great savior of the Old Testament, is dead, and he's buried at Shechem. Eleazar, the great mediator of the people of God, is buried at Gibeah. And although the the book of Joshua ends with people experiencing these incredible days of life, inheriting the promises of God, it doesn't last. It almost seems as if the people go the way of their leaders. You see, look at verse 31. It says, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, 
in all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. But do you know that if you were to take your Bible and turn over just one page to Judges chapter 2, that it picks up exactly where Joshua leaves off? So much so that many of the words are almost exactly the same in Judges 2 verse 6. It says, Joshua dismissed the people, and they went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. Does that sound familiar? And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work the Lord had done for Israel. Does that sound familiar? We just read it. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. They buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath, Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. The Judges tells us something new. Look at chapter 2 of Judges, verse 10. And that generation also were gathered to their fathers. Joshua's generation died. They were all gathered. But there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Listen to this. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. They provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them, listen, he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. And whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned. And as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. One generation later, after they had received all of the promises of God, experiencing life as God intended to be, all of their leaders died, and the life that God had given them was done. All these men were dead. And the next generation was in terrible distress because they did not follow the Lord. And the reason this matters for us is because you come to the end of the book of Joshua and you realize this, listen carefully, as good as it was, it wasn't good enough. And as good as Joshua was, he wasn't good enough. And as good as Joseph was, he wasn't good enough. And as good as Eliezer was, he wasn't good enough. And as good as the land was, it wasn't good enough. And as good as the life was, it wasn't good enough. It reminds us that there has to be something better than this. And every one of these graves are pointing us forward to a promise that God was making that there is something better. That for us, listen, there is a better land and a lasting land. There is a better life and an eternal life. And more than that, there is a better man. There is a better leader than Joshua. There is a better savior than Joseph. There is a better mediator than Eleazar. We've spent seven months in the book of Joshua, 23 sermons, and every single one of them exists to point us to this one truth, that as great as this was, there was still something better, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the better one. And everything in this book is just foreshadowing and pointing us to Jesus and letting us know that as great as the life was, they all died. And as great as the land was, it didn't last very long to cause us to hold on in hope that one day a better leader would come. And he has. 
and his name is Jesus Christ, and he comes, and the first thing he says is this, follow me. Why? Because Jesus is the strong and courageous one that was careful to obey everything God had said. And he leads us into the promised land, and he leads us into experiencing life eternal. He says, I have come to give you life and life abundantly. Jesus is the only one worth following because he's the only one that leads us into life. And if there is any desire, any longing in your heart for the experience of life, you have to know this, only one leader can lead you there. His name is Jesus. And there is a better Savior. Jesus is the Savior we need. Colossians 1.13 says he did not come to deliver us out of slavery in Egypt, but he came to deliver us from the domain of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. He has come to seek and to save the lost, which all of us are part of. All of us head into eternity separated from God with death and hell looming over us. But Jesus Christ has come to lay down his life that we might have the once and for all Savior we need. And as great as Joseph was, he could not save us the way that Jesus did. Jesus is the mediator that we need. 1 Timothy 2.15 says, There is one mediator between God and man, and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus walked into the Holy of Holies, and it was his own blood that was shed upon the mercy seat that our sins once and for all might be forgiven. So we don't need a high priest that every year makes a sacrifice for us. Jesus is the high priest. And because of his death and because of the shedding of his blood, we too can walk directly into the Holy of Holies and meet with God and have worship with him. Why? Because he is a better mediator. But there is a better man. His name is Jesus Christ, and he is leading us into a better land called heaven, and he is leading us into a better life. And it begins at the moment we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is eternal life, that you may know him. And as you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you have found yourself united with the leader that you need, the Savior you need, and the mediator you need. Everything you need is found in him. You see, the truth is, the book of Joshua doesn't end with three graves. It ends with four graves. Three of them have bones in them, and one of them doesn't. All of those graves are pointing us to another grave. And in that place, someone else will one day be buried. But his bones will not remain there because he will one day from that place rise from the dead three days later, declaring his victory over sin and death and hell. And as great as these men were, they're all dead. And it's pointing us to another man who is not dead. He is alive and ruling and reigning right now for all of eternity at the right hand of the Father. And the way that we can know, listen, the way that we can know our future is better than their future is because we're aligned with a better man. The way that we can know that we can have life forever is because we're united with a better man. That our sins can be forgiven forever and we can have continual communication and intimacy with God is because we're united to a better man. You will go the direction of the man that you're united with. And the Bible says this, that when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are so supernaturally united with him that his death is your death. His burial is your burial. His resurrection is your resurrection. Meaning your sins 
have been paid for, your old life has been buried, and you were raised to walk in newness of life because you're united with Jesus Christ. Therefore, your life and your future and your land are secure forever because of Christ. Here we are thousands of years later, and God's desire is still the exact same. He wants you to know life. And you can take all of the longings of your heart and you can put them in all kinds of different categories, but the thing your heart longs for every moment of the day is simply the life that God intended for you to live. The sad part is we try to find it in a thousand different ways, failing to realize that only one man can give it to us and his name is Jesus Christ. Joshua 1 begins... Inviting the people of God to follow Joshua, the strong and courageous and righteous one, to lead him into life. And it ends by a promise that Jesus is going to come, and even this morning inviting us to join ourselves with him, to trust and follow him as he leads us into a better life, eternal life. And the only thing that matters at the end of this sermon, at the end of this book, and at the end of every day, is are you aligned with Jesus Christ and trusting and following him because he is a better man and he's the one you need. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.